On the last day of the recent bike summit in LA, the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition held a panel based on the recent forum that they had, Which Way LACBC. At the last minute, LACBC Executive Director Eli Kira Kaufman made the decision to go with Bike Talk's live stream and turned the panel into an audience discussion. So this is that discussion. Great. There we go. Okay. Well, welcome. I guess what we'll do is this is a bit of a change of pace. Uh, we were not necessarily expecting to do a live uh, stream today, but this actually makes it better because there's been, it's been a great summit for the Cal Bike Summit, and uh, next door there's a larger statewide conversation about SB 127, which just was vetoed over the weekend, and everybody's up in arms on the statewide level. So this is going to be a more intimate local conversation about bike advocacy in Los Angeles. Um, and I thought maybe we could just start off by introducing ourselves because we're a small but mighty group and then we'll dive into our presentation and kind of talk about where bike advocacy is, uh, at least as it relates to LACBC. So first of all, my name is Eli Akira Kaufman. I am the executive director of the LA County Bicycle Coalition. Um, just coming to the end of my first year and uh, really excited to be a part of the summit and just to be a part of the community on a larger level. So that's me. Uh, my name is Colin Bogart. I'm the Education Director for the LA County Bicycle Coalition, so I basically run all our educational programming, uh, which includes things like free bike safety classes for the public and um, our Operation Firefly program, which gives out lights in the winter months. Uh, my name is Jade Henderson. Um, I'm currently interning with LACBC. Um, I've been working with you guys for slightly over a month now. I'm from Occidental College, and I'm interning with them for a course and my major, I'm majoring in urban environmental policy. So, up My name is Kevin Claxton. I'm LACBC's Deputy Executive Director of Advancement. Um, I kind of lead the charge on fundraising, lead production on a couple big events throughout the year, and to help manage staff and operations. Should we pass the mic around or how? Yeah, you could. Oh, this one's on enough. Yeah. Okay, great. If you don't mind. If you don't mind. <laughs> you can opt out. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, good morning. My name is Claire. Um, I'm a, a transportation planner um, with the Active Transportation Group at uh, Los Angeles, City of Los Angeles Department of Transportation. I'm just here to listen this morning. I'm an attendee of the conference. Um, we have had a number of staff here this week kind of in and out and have really enjoyed the programming and um, really looking forward to hearing from you all on the state of advocacy in LA. Hey, good morning. I'm uh, Patrick Tyner. I'm an associate transportation planner with Caltrans in Sacramento in headquarters. And uh, I'm here to uh, basically listen and learn. Um, uh, my role in system planning is that uh, we do corridor plans um, for Caltrans. At, uh, and we work with our districts. And part of this is obviously working with multimodalism, uh, trying to figure out how best to incorporate you know, and, and to analyze and address data needs for bicycle pedestrian needs as far as corridor throughput and things like that. So I'm here to listen and learn. It's been a great summit so far. And um, so that's why I'm here. Good morning. My name is Mark Malari. I'm with, I'm also a member of uh, LACBC um, and I help out with the Culver City chapter of the Culver, uh, of Bike Culver City. 
and I'm interested to see what the future holds in LA and I advocate for safe streets, multi-mobility and transit and safety. I am Nick Richard. I host a show called Bike Talk. It's a podcast um, hosted on KPFK and we are streaming now on Pacifica's stream. And uh, it's I had a lot of fun at this summit so far. Hi, good morning. My name is Treva Moore. I'm an avid cyclist here in Los Angeles, um, often a ride marshal for the LACBC bike rides, and just here to learn to find out, to see the new infrastructure coming down to allow me to cycle even more in LA. Hello, my name is Glenda Johnson. I'm from LA County Health Department. I am the transportation coordinator and I really enjoyed the summit so far. It's very educational and just I'm here to find ways for employees to commute around in the city when they're downtown or find ways to, you know, get people out of their cars. Just easier, you know, come to work with without being in all this traffic. Um, my name is Henny Alamillo. I'm a LACBC member as well. Um, also a league cycling instructor. Worked, had, had the fortunate opportunity working with Colin um, on some classes, which has been great. Um, but mostly here just to see the outcome of what's gonna happen with LACBC and how I could support. Great, so um, we're gonna see people sort of wandering in. This is a, a summit and so um, I guess be aware that new voices will join the conversation as we go. Um, so maybe we should just dive into this. Um, and so welcome, just so you're aware, this is a live podcast that's happening on KPFK, but you're welcome to join us and we're all introducing ourselves kind of as we go. So we just ask if you enter the room and without in, uh, sort of talk, uh, introducing yourself that you might just share who you are quickly uh, mm -hmm. when you speak. So, okay, well, welcome to Los Angeles. For those, but we're all really from here, actually, it sounds like. There's not a single person who's from out of town. Are you from out of town? Oh, we've got two out-of-towners. That's right. Um, welcome to LA. Welcome to LA, right. <laughs> and we're, just to give you a, a sense before we dive into this, this, um, this presentation, we're, we're, we're trying to break the mold in terms of like the single talking head, the sage on the stage, and we decided to do our presentation as a group. And so each of us is gonna present a different part of this because we, do it together. And so uh, so just so you're like, what? what's going on here? It's a little bit different. Um, but what we wanted to do for the folks who are coming in from out, out of town, and even for people who are from here, is to just sort of remind us of where we are. So Los Angeles is uh, an amazing place filled with uh, some of the most creative, innovative types of industries and people. It's, uh, it's got over 10 million residents. Um, however, as you all know, uh, our region suffers from a huge economic and environmental inequality based on a number of key decisions that were made um, early in the history of the city. Welcome, welcome. This is a live podcast, but uh, we're, we're excited to have all voices join. So just new person just joined us. So anyway, um, certain communities uh, really bear the brunt of these decisions that were made. And we're going to be talking about uh, how the public transportation, uh, public transit sort of developed. We're going to talk about redlining a little bit today, um, just to provide a bit more context. So um, just to give you some hits on key challenges. And once again, we'll share this out to the audience later. 
if you want to kind of keep this in your back pocket for presentations you might do. Um, sprawl is a key challenge. We have 88 inco incorporated cities, not including unincorporated. It actually is closer to 108 when you add the unincorporated cities. Um, we have over 10 million residents and uh, uh, there's a lot of nimbyism that we've encountered as a uh, bike coalition and as uh, activists. Um, a lot, lot, in large part because streets were created to move cars, not people. In Los Angeles in particular, it's all designed for vehicular speed. We have a Caltrans person here and clearly um, the, the dominant culture is car. And so the re reaction of Caltrans and other major agencies, DOT and others, is to you know, deal with that culture. That said, um, we, the other piece of the nimbyism that we have to deal with is uh, this idea of uh, bike lanes bringing gentrification, which then brings displacement to communities. And so our, we're having to figure out how to uh, help people to understand how this infrastructure will make a, a better place for us all um, with, without ignoring the fact that, that those improvements might have unintended uh, consequences. A um, couple last few things. Uh, and I just talked about the dominant color culture. I just looked this up uh, two days ago. There's almost 8 million registrations, car registrations in this city. So if you think about there's about, you know, a car per person almost, you know, by a factor of a million. But, like, it's pretty stunning to think about. Uh, people have cars like, like we should be having bicycles, you know, one, one for one. Uh, pretty much. Uh, another thing that we'll be talking about a little bit later is that, that we have a really complex system of governance in Los Angeles. It's such a massive region that um, we have uh, we have we have we have a very kind of complex, convoluted structure. There is a single mayor, but really that mayor who sets the agenda, who sets the uh, who tries to set the sort of uh, the key ideas of of what needs to happen in the city has to get 15 different council members to agree because they actually control the budget. So while the mayor can set the sort of agenda and set the, the priorities, it really has to be uh, sold through or socialized well with all the council district members for anything to really happen. Um, and then if you get down to the city level, we have you know the 88 mayors that, that are part of the 88 incorporated cities. Uh, plus all the neighborhood councils and everything else that goes into it. So it's just, it's a really complex thing. The main thing un to understand though, unlike New York, Chicago, San Francisco, where the mayor has a lot more power, um, sort of uh, under, under that person's uh, authority, our mayor has to really work with all these council districts, which makes it very difficult. Let's keep going, thanks. Uh, so opportunities, well, met miles of metro are going in. This is happening, I live off the purple line uh, in mid-city, eventually it's going to be uh, a, great, a great amenity for me and my family, um, but for a city that really didn't have, and Colin will talk about this a bit later, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, rail or, or, or transit, that's really coming online. Um, there's more choices, there's this huge disruption that we've all been seeing with all these scooter companies where you're having you know, this massive uh, just influx of these dockless devices. And um, we're not sure how that's gonna shake out, but that's showing an instinct that we think people are looking for other options other than cars. So we're excited about these things, these birds and limes and spins and skips and what have you, but, they're, uh, but we're not really sure how they're gonna disrupt the entire ecosystem in addition to disrupting car culture. Um, another advantage that we have in our region is the climate and topography. It's just a Mediterranean, generally nice climate you know, it's 
we, we <laughs> this is a fun set, 284 sunny days per year, with the average being 205 for the rest of the country. And so it's pretty, it's pretty nice here is what it comes down to. And the population density is in the flats, which means that folks can just hop on a bike. You don't have to be in extreme great fitness to be able to get around. Um, and the final thing is that we're starting to see more of you, people who really want to see a change in Los Angeles. And we're excited to be a part of that change. But there's an increasing shift away from car culture. Um, part of that has to do with the increased population density. There's just more people that's making traffic worse. And we're starting to find uh, our tipping point where we're just like, it ain't worth getting into a car any longer. We need to start to find other alternatives. And so for these reasons, we're excited about what's happening. So transportation in LA, going back, and I'm just gonna sort of quickly talk about these three boxes here. Um, as any region is the case, transportation plays a huge role in maintaining inequity in any region. And we're gonna talk about redlining and how our transit system was dismantled in our early days uh, as, a, as a region. Um, but it was more intentional than that. Our freeways and goods um, in our area are along corridors that are around uh, historically disenfranchised uh, uh, communities, communities that have suffered from major divestment. Um, so that means that there's not been the proper or equitable investment in those spaces. So that means that big trucks and rail and all those things that, you know, uh, that really create the most uh, negative impact, environmental impact, are, are really hitting the uh, low-income communities of color uh, at the same time that they're not actually addressing their transportation needs. So all this combined... Um, plus the lack of investment in safe and accessible uh, infrastructure for people to move, um, creates uh, higher uh, crash levels of crashes and, and impacts on people um, in, uh, in, in communities that are, like I said, have suffered from great uh, divest uh, lack of investment. So um, with that in mind, we're gonna turn it over to Colin, who's gonna talk about the red car, because there was a time, right, Colin, when things were a little different. Yeah. So I don't know how many uh, are, let me ask first, first off, how many of you are familiar with the history of LA and the, and the red car system? So am I already sort of telling you what you already know? Um, so I'll try to be brief about it because it seems like you, most of you appear to be familiar with it. But basically, I think one of the things that to help us get con give context for LA um, is to dispel right away the myth that LA has always been a car town because that's actually not true. Um, in the early parts of the 20th century, uh, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, LA had this massive uh, light rail network of electric streetcars, and um, a lot of people don't even know that. Um, so it's worth mentioning that, um, that this was a part of our system early on. Um, and so there's a, this is the map of what the system looked like in, in the 20s. Uh, it was unbelievably huge, um, and by this point, it was primarily owned by uh, Henry Huntington under the red car system, but there was a couple other systems that operated as well, and they were all electrified light rail trains that went all over the place, um, and they largely shared, um, shared the roads with uh, motor vehicles. Um, not always, but in a lot of cases, they did. Um, and a lot of it was built, mainly it was actually built to help develop. Uh, when they wanted to put in a development, uh, like a housing development somewhere, they would build a light rail line 
and then build a development there and that's how and then the people who live there that's how they would get into the city to work um, that was really common um, and then also th there were light rail lines that just connected cities to cities like there were at one point there was at least three or f I think there was at least two or three lines that connected Pasadena with the city of LA and they were all kind of competing with each other um, and so th this was the dominant system for quite a while and then really was what happened was is essentially with as the automobile became more popular and post-World War II, the decision was made that we're gonna focus more on freeways and building roads and using that as the primary means of transportation uh, for the population. Because at that time it was considered the future. This is the future, this is progress, this is the way forward. Um, and uh, the Pasadena freeway between LA and Pasadena, the 110 was like the first ever freeway if you saw Roger Rabbit you know what we're talking about um, and that was like that was the model that everybody else started copying um, and then eventually what happened was is the rail system was dismantled ultimately because it was getting bogged down in the same traffic that motor vehicle traffic was getting bogged down in and and really the system was a private system and it wasn't really necessarily built to be a service for the public like Metro is now it was more initially built as, as a way to connect people to these developments that had been built. Um, and so it was sort of a de facto system that was in place. Um, and so essentially, the, the car grew to become the predominant way to get around in, in LA. Really, it really took off post-World War II. Um, and then essentially what happened from there is that that just sort of took sprawl in LA and sort of put it into high gear and it just started expanding and has continued to do so ever since basically um, but um, it's really interesting to look at like images of uh, there's tons of images online if you want to look at images online uh, for the rail system and this is just one example this is San Vicente and La Brea and so the photo on the left you can see the rail line coming diagonally across and it actually has a bridge going over La Brea and then the photo on the right is like basically a Google satellite image of that very same intersection um, and so a lot of the a lot of the major thoroughfares in LA started out as rail lines um, and then um, as in this one with San Vicente where there's this nice median strip down the middle of the road where did that median strip come from well it's there because that used to be where the railroad tracks were um, and so there's a lot of streets in LA that look like that and that's that's the history of that So it's it's really fascinating and you look at this photo and there's actually some houses you can see that um, That were in the original picture. There's a house right up here laser pointers don't work There's a house up here, and then there's another photo there. You can see the same house is still there So a lot of the buildings in the old photo are still in the in the modern-day picture, which is kind of fun to, to look at um, the other thing that's important to note is that, you know, Eli mentioned the fact that Metro is now rebuilding or building rail uh, throughout the county. And uh, what's fascinating about that is that a lot of what's being built today is being built on the same right of ways that still exist from back then. Uh, the most recent being this photo here. This is the exposition line that goes out to Santa Monica. And this is Expo. This photo that you're looking at, um, for those of us in the room, um, this is exposition um, just east of Western Avenue and on the left uh, in the old photo on the left You can see the Fauché Learning Center just a little bit of it and then the photo on the right You can see that's the Fauché Learning Center. It's still there same building um, But now there's a modern 
light rail track going there. So there's this history in LA that, you know, I think it's just important. The point really to make is that this has not always been a car town. And, and so uh, we're, it's interesting that we're going back to the old system, but it's an improved system in that it's separated from car traffic so it doesn't get bogged down. And I think that's also what's significant today uh, transportation-wise is that now there's a real push for bus rapid transit, BRT, uh, which is essentially why the bus system, one of the reasons why the bus system doesn't work as well now as it could is because the buses are getting bogged down in the same traffic, just like the old light rail trains used to get bogged down in traffic. And so now they're talking about, okay, we're going to put in a bus line, but we're going to have it separate. It's going to have its own dedicated lane. Any of you have ever taken the orange line out in the San Fernando Valley know what we're talking about. That was built on an old rail line and it's really fast and really efficient. And so now they're trying to figure out how to replicate something like that on city streets throughout LA. And that's significant um, in terms of being uh, a way for, you know, when you're looking at it from a bicycling perspective, your ability to then use a bike in conjunction with transit to go a lot further than you might do on your own power. I personally live in Pasadena. I take the gold line every day, but I use it with my bike. And so this is all significant information and, and it gives good context for where we're at. And then we'll have to wait for a rally, so we're gonna skip ahead a little bit. Yeah. And then who's next? I think I'm back. You're back. I'm back. Thanks, Colin. Sure. So so that gives a little bit of context and there was gonna be a little uh, piece about redlining and what that is. Does anyone know what redlining is as a practice and, and how it all came to be? Um, yeah. Okay, great. So um, so what we're looking at in LA is uh, in a similar, uh, uh, when the, you know what, I'm going to let Aureli sort of present that because yeah, we've got yeah. people coming in. So the LA County Bicycle Coalition, come on in, we got more people dribbling in. For those of you who are not at the summit, this is day three of a three-day summit. And there was a party at LACBC last night, so we're imagining people are just kind of waking up now. Um, so it's a bit of an early start the next morning, so we appreciate people coming in spite of that. And we're streaming live on Bike Talk right now. Yeah, so for those of you who are just walking in the room, we're streaming live on Bike Talk, thanks to Nick. And so, um, and so uh, it'll be something that you can listen to once it's edited uh, later. So the LA County Bicycle Coalition, how do we come into the picture? Well, in the... LA was really one of the last big cities to get a bike coalition. Um, we were a little late to the game. It's 20 years old, but the reason why, once again, is because we are in a car-dominant culture. Um, a lot of the things that I think about as a bike rider, um, in terms of my why, was sold to people to buy cars. There was a huge marketing. It was all about you know self-determination, freedom, mobility. All these things were sort of built out, so... Hey, John, welcome. <laughs> um, that, that whole sort of marketing campaign was really designed to capture the imagination and, and really play on some tropes around uh, liberty and freedom. And, and, and so, um, but it's been appropriated by the car culture. And so I think part of in talking to Ron Milam and Joe Linton uh, in preparation for this that, that they were interested in was to um, create a, uh, a coalition that was uh, community-based and membership-based. Uh, that would help to make LA a safer, healthier, and fun place to ride a bike. 
Uh, how we do it, just a quick snapshot. We do outreach, education, and advocacy, uh, just calling some things out. Operation Firefly is about to start in uh, November. We want to be coming out to make sure that we're distributing in your community, so please talk to us afterwards. But essentially, it's a bike distribution, distribution and safety education program uh, where it happens from daylight savings from the beginning to the end of daylight savings from November till March. Um, and we also host the annual LA River Ride, which is um, uh, the largest ride on the LA River. We get about 2,000 people out. It's a community ride. It's not a race. And we've got a level for each person. It's really a way to introduce people to LA's river as a resource and an amenity and as a transportation corridor. And then uh, education-wise, Colin can probably speak to this in more detail, but I'll just sort of quickly hit it that we have a number of programs, including the Metro Best Program, Bicycle Education Safety Training Program, um, LAUSD, LADOT, Safe Routes to School programs, where we help to uh, physical education teachers to start teaching non-ball sports. So how many of you still play competitive basketball? How many of you still play competitive baseball as adults? But many of us can still ride a bike and maintain fitness and health and connection uh, w well into our later years. And so that's another part of what we're trying to do with LAUSD. Um, and then finally, uh, we have, uh, we're setting up bicycle clubs at schools and LUSD. Clubs, so we need some actually some advice on that because we've got some club people in the room today. But how do we set up that club culture around maintaining and safety? Um, and so what we're doing is these, these are after school programs that are going into LUSD now. Um, and then advocacy, um, we've been, uh, we were really involved in voter education for Measure M. We were 501c3, so we couldn't actually tell people how, how to vote, but we definitely made sure that people knew that they should vote their actually, conscience. we could on that. We could, right, right, but yeah. it's right. Elected but, officials, we can. That's but right. But measures, we can. So we did some voter, vo voter education on that, and then um, more recently we did some advocacy around SB 127, mentioned earlier, and, um, and, so, and, and I have flyers for Sunset for All, which I'd like everyone to take. It's a community group that came out of our Neighborhood Bicycle Ambassador Program. These are self-organizing people, members of our community who are trying to make a difference where they live. And so they've created an entire website, they've created an entire uh, point of view on how to put that bike infrastructure in one of the busiest, dangerous streets in LA. Let's keep going. So, survey time. So we were gonna take a pause here, actually, um, initially, and I'm gonna hand the mic, actually the mic's there, maybe. You wanna grab that one? Out of the reach. Um, so, those of you who, who uh, are connected with the Bicycle Coalition know that uh, over the last couple of years, we've experienced some leadership transition. For a couple of reasons, um, this year we thought it was important to really take a moment to refocus and uh, deeply connect with the, the community, give the community an opportunity to let us know what they think about our work and, and how we should progress looking ahead. So uh, this summer we embarked on kind of an outreach campaign that we called Which Way LACBC. We put together a, a survey and we hosted a community listening event in late July. So over the course of about six weeks, we distributed the survey on all of our channels. We held a, a listening event, gave people the opportunity to take the survey. If you look around the room, we've also got kind of some posters with some big picture questions up on the wall, and we invited people to write their feedback on a post-it note, throw it up on the poster. We had some really productive group discussion at that event, and um, we it was pretty revealing. You know, we heard a lot of things that we kind of expected to hear. We heard some other things that we didn't expect to hear. So we thought we'd take a moment and invite you all to actually participate in the process. I have a set of paper surveys here. We've got a short link if you'd like to hop on your phone 
and um, take it online. I've got post-it notes, pens, markers right here. We have our big picture questions up around the room on the wall. So for those of you from Los Angeles, a couple of these questions are gonna be specific to LA. For those of you who are from out of town, if you don't have the LA knowledge, maybe you can still participate using the information that you've learned over the last couple of days uh, visiting, attending the conference. We really would love your insight. So maybe let's take 10 or 12 minutes here give people the chance to, to take the survey, stand up, move around a little bit. Arely Morales and I am a part of the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition um, and I am here to tell you a little bit more about um, part of the historical like reasons that um, Los Angeles has such a complicated history with redlining, um, displacement, um, equity, and why we it really, really matters to um, if we're community-focused and people-focused, and, and, and at the end of the day, that's exactly what we do. LACBC is here, not just for bicycles, for the people, uh, pedestrians. Um, we want to reduce fatalities, we want to connect communities, and we want to make sure that that trust gets rebuilt um, in these places, specifically in places that have been historically disinvested um, through through uh, practices such as redlining, um, which is systemic uh, segregation and racism um, uh, that was allowed to happen in uh, the United States. Um, so if people do not understand what redlining is, it was a practice where, um, where uh, communities were divided, um, often on a racial, uh, on a racial mapping, um, that uh, that did not allow um, um, any type of loans or investments or any g good loans or investments uh, for the communities that were deemed unworthy, so redlined. Um, the way that plays out in my community, because I could speak from that, is I grew up in Venice Beach uh, in the redlined community of Oakwood, who was, yes, right there. Um, so Venice Beach is known for a lot of things, uh, but uh, it, but during um, it was constructed during the 1920s um, by a lot of uh, Southern Black um, communities who were escaping the South uh, and its Jim Crow laws. Um, when they got here, they realized it's not that much better, um, but at least we're close to the beach. <laughs> Um, and that and that's kind of the legacy that played out there. Uh, those people that um, that constructed Venice because Venice was created out of marshland. Um, it, it was canals that uh, were created as sort of a um, uh, a vacation home for the rich. Um, and the people who worked there, um, historically the the black indigenous people of color, um, were allowed to live in the red line area. And you know. Uh, disinvestment came afterwards once the um, canals um, 
kind of swamped and nobody wanted to be there. Uh, there was also um, oil found there, so it was active drilling. Um, these communities uh, were where I grew up were, um, uh, were also um, victimized by, um, by, by this infantment and um, the um, uh, lack of transportation. Um, and um, for instance, in that, this community that, uh, where only black and brown people were allowed to live, um, uh, there was also a beach where people were allowed to, to, to uh, people of color were allowed to, um, to play on the, in, in the sands, um, and that is called Inkwell Beach. It's a little bit north of, uh, of Ocean Park uh, Boulevard in Santa Monica. Um, but this place now, um, in the 90s, experienced gentrification before we had a, a word for gentrification, uh, where um, through a lot of different practices, one of them being a police gang indictment, um, injunction, sorry, um, victimized a lot of, of, of community youth, including myself and my family. Um, and we were told it, like through these practices of over-policing, uh, you do not feel safe there anymore. And then investment comes and uh, apartment buildings get purchased and um, cash for keys, which is a practice where, um, where um, new landlords uh, kind of give you a, a promise of money and give you money so that you can leave. And this now would be like a protected, um, uh, um, apartment building or, 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 or space where you people live uh, is now two, triple or th four times the amount of money um, that it used to be. So it's completely unaffordable for the people, the community who built it itself. Uh, things are being purchased left and right. Uh, two years ago, I, I believe it's now two years ago, and uh, during the summertime we, uh, we did a historic, uh, I, I created a, a bike ride uh, called the uh, the Forgotten History of Venice that explained um, just like the the lines and the dimensions and um, uh, Inkwell Beach and um, and also a little bit of the history of of the people who made Venice um, like um, like Abbot Kinney was the was the founder and Tabor was um, one of the um, the, the, the black entrepreneurs in Venice Beach who has still a legacy there and um, who historically, like my favorite story there was when um, Abbot Kinney, who, the, who was the founder of Venice, when he left, um, when he died, he willed his home to his friend uh, T Tabor, who was a, a, black, a black male. And, um, and because his home was in a, uh, a, in a on property that was, n was not within the areas that people of color could live, he was, it was being fought um, against him. So what he did is he cut the house in half and put it on canals and he took it to, uh, to the Oakwood neighborhood where people of color are allowed to live. So it's a really cool like at you type of moment. <laughs> and that house is still there on our tour. We stopped there. It's, um, yeah, it's on Santa Clara uh, in Venice on 6th Street. So it's like completely out of the blue, but that's kind of how it, how um, the lines were drawn. Um, so yeah, so that's a little bit of redlining and how it works and uh, why we um, 
and why people are distrusting and why we have to be very careful when we come into communities with investment, specifically with uh, transportation investment, because there, that is uh, an intersection that we, uh, in the active transportation field, have to have to always keep in mind. Um, there's so much distrust distrust between these communities and police and metro and every agency that comes in line. And so we have to um, be very, very um, um, open and receptive and intentional when we come to these communities. So, so that's my thing on redlining. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Riley. It's very, very in-depth. <laughs> Personal, yeah. And personal. And so, so uh, if you see there's other colors on the map, and just to sort of pick it up a little bit um, in terms of the definition, and then we'll move on, mm -hmm. um, there's four colors, right? So you can imagine knowing where LA is today, and this map is circa, I don't even, I don't know yeah. how old it is. Hard but to read. Hard to read, but it's old. Um, the green spaces up on the hills with the views and the clean air. Right? Number That's one. Number one, easy to get a loan there. So people who already had resources were able to go to banks, and those banks just rubber stamp those loans, and those people got to sort of uh, do the uh, additions or buy new houses or build easily. Then you look at the uh, the blue line, the blue colors. It's sort of like the second tier. And once again, all this was based on who was there and who was there. Once again, primarily uh, folks of privilege and and uh, a lot of white folks that, who lived in those spaces. And and then yellow sort of is the next tier down. And then the red tier would be the tier that the banks were least inclined to support, least inclined to provide the types of loans that help people, uh, you know, create a better future for themselves and for their families. And the lasting legacy of it is these these markings, these uh, these maps were still used for a lot of different um, um, t practices to this day, um, like um, be it speculated market, um, like purchasing right now, investment marketing, uh, and um, like police activity, like it just goes on and on. This this lasting legacy is still there, yeah. and that's another thing we need to talk about. Plus, it hurts pocketbooks because insurance people go buy buildings. Mm -hmm. So all the red is all always have to pay more for car insurance, mm -hmm. uh, home insurance, health insurance. Health yeah. Insurance. yeah. So uh, anyway, just a, a, another way to provide context on where you are uh, in LA, and in case you wondered how things got cut up the way it did, mm -hmm. this is this is some good background. Also, it's like freeways, and just it goes on and on and on, and the more the deeper you look into it, the more you see it. Right. So uh, you all had an opportunity to take the survey, put up a couple notes. Um, Thank so you. So now, now we'd like to Thank kind of present the the results from our event in, that we held in late July and the survey collection that we did during that time. A couple quick photos just from our discussion. You see some posters with the post-it notes on the background up there. Um, and so Jade, um, our new intern and colleague from Occidental College, one of her first projects was to help us kind of pull together all the data that we gathered in this process and synthesize and develop some takeaways and recommendations. So Jade's going to kind of run us down on some of the key, key things that we learned. I got it. Um, so coming on to the scene at LACBC, um, I started to digest the data from the survey. So the first few questions um, kind of tackle who took the survey in the summer. Um, so as you can see with this question, uh, what modes of transportation do you use to get around Los Angeles? The majority of people in this survey responded 
that they use bicycle, public transit, and walking, which then gets back to the point that Colin mentioned about the importance of multimodal transit systems. Um, another important thing to note about this graph in particular is that many of these questions, as you saw in the survey, were select all that apply. So these numbers aren't the number of people who are selecting them, it's the number of selections each one got. So for example, they overlap. Um, people who said they bike could also chose walking and as well as personal car. So the total number of participants in the survey was 177, but these are the amount of clicks that each option got. Um, the second question tackles what types of bike riding do you do most? Um, what's particularly interesting about this question is that the majority of responders um, noted that they commute and use bicycling as a mode of daily transport. This is interesting as, um, you know, in Los Angeles, a lot of times I think of bicyclists as people who are able to buy expensive road bikes and buy a full kit, but oftentimes that's not the case of who actually gets out on the road and bikes a lot. So this is an interesting question. Um, this question, um, as you saw in the survey, asks what are the biggest challenges you face when traveling around Los Angeles? And um, by far, the three biggest categories revolve around personal safety. So that's lack of adequate infrastructure that makes people feel unsafe in the streets. And from that, a risk of collision and injury. Um, so the takeaways from this survey and about who took the survey um, really get at who are using bicycles. Um, most of the times it's daily commuters. Um, this then tackles what do we need to support uh, daily commuters in their commute, and oftentimes that's creating these multimodal transit systems where people are able to walk, bike, and use public transit to get to their destination. Um, um, so this one was interesting. Um, I haven't been um, with LACBC long enough to fully understand all of its programs, but what's interesting about this question is that a lot of respondents um, uh, wanted more advocacy work within LACBC, and I think that's particularly um, insightful because something I've learned that if you want other people to get behind your issue and your cause, you have to make them care about that issue and cause in a personal way. So by broadening um, issues that kind of this cycling world can tackle, uh, like intersections, which is the subject of the summit. Um, that's what this question shows. Thanks, Jade. <coughs> and I just want to commend Jade. She just stepped into our, um, our, our organization and got right into like just crunching data to learn. And we thought it was the best way for her to kind of come up to speed on what matters. I also want to make a clear, I want to be clear. You might get a picture from these numbers that LA rides bikes. And LA is really into transit. Um, but you have to understand that our sample size are folks like yourselves, mm -hmm. people who tune into Bike Talk, people who are actually uh, fringe people uh, in terms of the, the, the dominant car culture. And I say fringe with all the love in my heart. But, but the reason why, uh, even among this group, this is important is because we need to understand how we are um, supporting uh, their priorities and, and how to make this a better place for those uh, sort of 
people who are on the bleeding edge, who are at the tip of the spear, who are trailblazing the future of what mobility is going to look like in LA, because eventually we need to figure out how to scale this to speak to the larger community, the people who just can't imagine getting on a bicycle, on transit, on a bus, and, or just walking in this city. So uh, anyway, let's keep going. Um, so we have a bunch of things that we have currently within our body of work, and we have some things that are uh, sort of outside of our body of work. Uh, clearly, once again, the major feedback that we're getting in this slide is the idea that we need to have better infrastructure. And the way to do that is by uh, creating grassroots campaigns. Um, and because we're already talking to Metro, we're talking to Caltrans, we're talking to DOT, and we're doing okay with that. But ultimately, uh, the way we're gonna make power or build power together is by getting folks involved. Yeah, sure. Jump on in. It's, a, it's that kind of a form. Uh, so it's something that we we are obviously representing the 88 count. This L.A. County is 88 cities, which is something we can't we could never actually do from the grassroots. So what we really want to do is empower people and provide resources and those connections that we have um, and the wealth of knowledge that we have between the, this team and um, and our extended network of 13 chapters and all of those leaders. Um, that's what we can offer people. So we, we're empowering people to to advocate for their communities because it's more powerful to do that from it from within and that's how we're gonna that's our plan for the future and, and to be able to actually um, service these 88 cities is to empower the people that are already within there so I want to make sure that that's that everybody that's listening to that into this understands that too get involved please <laughs> awesome let's keep moving um, so just key takeaways, once again, uh, we got feedback that our outreach, advocacy, and education is what we need to stick with. Um, the focus on infrastructure is uh, already shown to be key. Our respondents are always talking about getting safer infrastructure that protects them. Um, and then building culture, which is sort of like, this is the question, right? Do we need to build a culture first and that culture will demand the infrastructure or do we build it and then they will come, sort of like Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner, bad baseball movie from the 90s. Uh, it's both, right? As Mark said. So I think that that's, that's where we put, where do we put our emphasis? And I think one of the other things I want to just sort of piggyback on with Aureli's comment is we can't possibly, of a staff of no matter how big we get, uh, represent the needs of each of the communities. We need anchor organizations. We need folks who are in the communities themselves to start to step up and ask questions and get us get us uh, up to speed on what your needs are so we can fill, figure out how to support you. Um, one of the things I really took away from the panel, the lunch plenary yesterday uh, with uh, John Jones who's here today, was just when he started to build his club, he went and spoke to uh, pre-existing clubs to just see where they were at and to make sure that he gave respect to the communities that were already in place, the clubs that were already riding, even even in the naming rights of those of those groups, and I think in that sort of same kind of approach of not just coming out and saying, top down, this is what needs to happen, bottom up, how do we get it done? Is really the, is really the way, to, and you need to show respect to the communities that are pre-existing, uh, so that they can feel that they have agency to 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 continue to build what we need to to do to get this done. Um, okay, let's keep going. Um, Time check, we got about 10 minutes left. Okay, cool. Thank you, Colin. So this is sort of like a, I'm going to just sort of, 
everyone's way, you just got to go through your slides quick. But this is sort of a breakdown of the different types of ways we plan to inspire folks. But the 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 overall arching theme is listening, is making sure that we are we're, we're connecting to people so we understand that our outreach, our education, and our programs are based in the needs of the folks that we are trying to engage with and we're trying to support. So let's keep moving. And it's clear that it's hard to listen with only an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we had some pretty cool uh, kind of blue sky ideas that came through. Um, and some of these are also posted around the room. But, um, you know, a car-free downtown. Like, let's make downtown just completely car-free. How much would that change our day-to-day? And kind of if you're on Twitter, you've probably seen like, you know, what, uh, New York, Fort, was it 14th? Yes. 14th Street that just made a transit only, and then San Francisco Market. just decided. Market yeah. Street, Market yeah. Street. And so now everybody in LA is starting to talk about 7th Street, Broadway, yes. um, Will, parts of Wilshire. So, same concept. Um, that would be amazing. It's coming. Yeah. Um, like when you get a driver's license, you know, and I think this is for any mode of transportation. When you get a driver's license, you should also have to uh, learn how to ride a bicycle and be aware of the rules of the road so that you can be a good neighbor on the road. It just seems like there's this, you know, once again, in a car-dominant culture, these are simple education, simple sort of ways to build the culture, to, to cultivate uh, a truly equitable transportation system. If there's a bicycle, you should learn about a bicycle. If there's a, if there's a scooter, there needs to be education around how to ride a scooter in a, a, a safe and intelligent and responsible way. And if you're a pedestrian, I would even say that's the case. I mean, just as a parent trying to get my kid to understand the dangers of the street, um, because they do exist no matter how good the infrastructure gets, you know, uh, no one's training, no one's, no one's providing those, those trainings other than, um, you know, and, and in a more formal way. We need to do a better job of helping people navigate their, their transportation systems. Um, in terms of culture, there's a couple other cool things here. And, you know, I want to open it up to the conversation, too. Um, yeah, maybe we should. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Taking the lane. Or taking the lane or something. Just yep. one question on that. I mean. There is, actually. There, there, there is? There is. Yeah, there's been yeah. a whole there is, and I've taken the test, and ah. it's like like one bicycle question out of, like, you know, many. Yeah. Mm -hmm. come up. But what, what are the barriers with, with working with the DMV to, like, put us more? An organization like, like you, a, a bigger organization, not a community or, or a grassroots organization, would be more likely to get a better response, I think, because you're a big sure, organization. Sure. And maybe even a coalition of, of coalitions. That's the way to go. Like, I'm from San Diego, and we, we could join with you and, and kind of try to change the culture of the DMV, try to get them to communicate to their drivers more about being more considerate and, and recognizing the laws yeah. that affect yeah. And what I would recommend if I can chime in on that is that um, 
what you're talking about is is fantastic and then that is a state level situation and oddly enough right after this presentation there's a second part to cal bikes agenda me, uh, meeting right after this one and that would be a perfect opportunity to raise it with cal bike i do know that the the DMV handbook is, is reviewed by a group on a yearly basis, and they do make slight tweaks. It's very slow. The DMV doesn't like to change things quickly. But um, by all means, like after this presentation, go next door to the Cal Bike agenda meeting because that's what they're talking about is what are we going to talk about, what are we going to advocate for in the coming year, and it's totally something to present, and I'm, I'm totally with you on that because they do have a couple of questions. Um, I think it's also very interesting when you think about it. I mean, if you want to really understand how car-centric we are as a society, the fact that the only way to get the most common identification available to us comes through the DMV, even if you don't drive. you got to go to the DMV to get an ID. Mm. And think about that for a second. How kind of weird is that? Like, really, there should be a way to get an identification that has nothing to do with the DMV and has nothing to do with driving. But you have to go to the DMV just to get a state ID, at least here in California. You have to go to the DMV to get a regular ID. The only other option is basically a passport, which is a whole other level, right? Um, so that in and of itself is sort of weird and yeah. shows where we're at as a society, really. Treva. I just wonder, you said about building it and they come. I always question, you know, we always have the Ciclavias, right? Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, like, are the people that, the systems, the organizations that can change and put in the infrastructure, do they even pay attention to the Ciclavias? Or they just see us as, oh, a bunch of people having a street party and we're out there eating and walking. Do they take, they, they, they take note, like, hey, I have never gone to a Ciclavia and the streets are empty. It's like everybody in LA, kids, families are out there on the road. So I'm thinking, do they see that and see like, Ask oh, the Caltrans guy. Or DOT. We're a, a partner and a, um, a partner in producing Ciclavias and yeah, sponsoring yeah. them. We actually uh, um, uh, receive grants from Metro that are then um, part of the way that Ciclavia happens. And, right, right. and um, of course, City staff are very involved in, um, uh, you know, doing all of the the closures and so forth that are involved in that. And um, we we see it and we support it. it yes. the, the program I think is is um, is supported, you know, through LADOT, through the mayor's office, through Metro, all of the folks who um, are also working to put infrastructure in the ground. And cool, I think cool, cool. it's it's sort of one tool in the toolbox in, in kind of changing the culture and changing the landscape. And um, those images of all the people, yeah, like, yeah. It, I mean, it just, um, it's sort of a little bit of soul food and trying to chip away at, at, the, at the big picture. Yeah. Um, and we need all those people to keep coming out and, and asking for the infrastructure, And too. I think those events speak to the people in the community, too, because it's inclusive. You know, people walking, pushing their baby carriages, and all of the other things, as well as the cycling and so on. And I've had people come up to me when I was volunteering at the San Diego one, um, and say, "Oh, thanks so much for putting this on." And, you know, a lady with a baby carriage. She said, "This is this is amazing." Um, and gee, can we actually block some of these streets off and just make it for people? 
Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I just wanna, I just wanna jump in and say, I think, I think Triva really hits on something good about how culture is built, um, important, I mean, and it's really nice to hear that DOT and and Caltrans and all this money is flowing to these programs. By the way, they don't happen for free. They need the support of big agencies and big uh, governmental agencies to step up. But where you can take that from there? Amazing. This is amazing. Oh Seriously, if you're listening at home, drop, cover, and hold on. This is the most amazing. I'm going to take a picture of this because, because this is just too much. Nick, you might want to jump in on this. Just, this is a funny moment for your look up, look up, look up. It does apply to, we're, look at us, we're all practicing. We're doing it, we're doing it. We're doing it, this is amazing. That's right, that's right, that's right. I love this, I, this would be the weirdest bike talk of all time. Um, I love this, look, look, what we, look, look. This is the community, right? We're the people that drop and cover. We're the people that advocate for these types of things. That whole thing that just happened, that doesn't happen out without community action. That does not happen without people standing up and saying, hey, we're in an earthquake uh, seismic area that, needs, that we need to, to train for this. We need to be prepared. It's the same attitude that got that to happen, that is going to get the bike infrastructure and the bike culture to help us navigate these cities better. So I think it's, I love that everybody got under their chairs. I think that's, I got pictures. Awesome. Yeah. Y'all get, get a gold star. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, yeah. Because we're running out of time. time yeah. James needs to set up for his presentation. Oh, you're coming up. Um, yeah. I wanted, I wanted to, before we lose sight of it, Treva brought up this great point of like, you know, our elected officials, are they seeing things like Ciclavia as a call to action, basically? Um, and what I would say to you is that we as the Bike Coalition, we talk to elected officials, we talk to city people, they hear from us all the time. And so what I would suggest to you is every time you go to a Ciclavia, especially if it's in your community, contact your elected official and tell them your thoughts on it. Let okay. them know. Let them know because a lot of times they don't hear from people in the community and so the assumption is that people don't really care um, or that it doesn't really matter. Or, oh, that was a one-off and there's no context to it. So you're in a position as, as a community member to, to contact your elected official and say, that was amazing. We need more of this kind of thing. That was amazing. Look at how many people actually have bikes in this city. Why aren't we seeing this many people out on their bikes on a daily basis? And what is you? What can you, as my elected representative, do to make that a reality? Yeah. That's the kind of thing they need to hear from you, because that's my. That's been my mantra to the elected officials for years now. Ever since Ciclavia started here in LA, was. If you really think there aren't that many people who want to bike in LA, then how do you explain Ciclavia? And hundreds of thousands of people coming out with bikes. You know, that's a reality. That's a latent demand that you're not addressing. And so that's your opportunity. And we, we, can, we can try to give you the information and we can try to encourage you to do it. But in the end, they've got to hear from you too. Yeah. And so that's your perfect opportunity. Yeah, and if you're... Yeah, and, and then if you've never had a Ciclavia in your community, contact your elected official and say, how come we haven't done this yet? 
why haven't we done this here? You know, and what can we do to make that happen? Because definitely they, you know, they don't off they don't often hear from people. Yeah. And the other thing I'd say is don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other thing too is I would say is don't just tweet it out. Call or send an email. You can't rely on elected officials to be paying attention to your rants on Twitter. Yeah, snail mail. What do you know? <laughs> um, also, snail mail, smoke signal, like get get the word out for sure. One thing I'll just say is that you know, Cyclopia is a great car holiday, so it's good. It's a good starting point. You know, people uh, open streets. Wow, imagine, imagine, and then like it just drops off, right? Street goes back to normal. They the f the fare goes uh, off to the next thing. We love Cyclopia. We love what they do, but if you want to continue to try to normalize this and make it more of a daily, regular experience then you need to start working with your local advocacy groups and clubs. You, need to, you really need to, to say, like we said, that was great, more of that. But then how do you actually uh, operationalize that and make sure that, it, that streets actually start to change and look more like Cyclivia? You join groups like LACBC. It's a shameless plug. You join, you join groups like the chapters. You join groups like PMJ. You join groups like Calbike. Cal you just join Calbike and work on the state level. Look, this is a democracy, people. We can make the difference that we want to make. We can create the future that we want to live in, right? This is on us. And I think, you know, let's 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 get that power back from these, you know, from the bureaucrats and people who are just looking out after their own self-interest. We have an opportunity to speak. This is this is the great promise of this of this region of this country. And so, anyway. Um, we're basically out of time. You can see if you're watching at home, and I'm just going to try to wrap this up a little bit, but I, I think we can probably move into the courtyard if people want to keep on talking. We want to talk to you, um, but we have to give up the room. We have these discussion ground rules. I just want to share this because this shows the culture of LACBC and how we are trying to build the way that we do business, the way that we interact with each other, and the way we interact with communities. Um, it's, a, it's kind of overwhelming, but we've really thought our way through about uh, in addition to landing the plane, which I need to work on, meaning going faster, also making sure that we hold space for voices that are not heard, and also making sure that we have a more democratic kind of a conversation instead of a sage on the stage just talking at you. So, um, so anyway, and then I guess is there anything else behind this slide? Are we where are we at, Jade? That's it. We made it. So please tune into this. I hope that we can edit this down. But um, it was a great conversation, and we're gonna have to sort of step outside. Thank you so much. So